hopefully this has been uh, a series that has been speaking to your heart. We've been talking about up, uh, in, and today we're going to talk about out. It's great having our Teen Challenge girls with us. It always is. Let's put our hands together and welcome them. We love having them with us. Well, if you were here in week one, we talked about up, and that's really talking about our relationship with God, and that's so important, and I hope you have that. In fact, I hope that you get a spiritual meal then, uh, more than just one a Sunday or two a Sunday, and that you've learned the value of feeding yourself so that the only time that you open your Bible or look on your tablet at the Bible is not on a Sunday, but you're feeding yourself. You're going up in your prayer life and your time listening to God in solitude where God can speak to you, and that's so vital. In fact, everything flows out of that, the essence of our life really flows out of up. And so that's hugely important. I mentioned last week, uh, it's not hard to motivate people to really think about up because if you're a Christian, you want that. You maybe don't have some of the spiritual habits down yet, but you know how important it is. But then last week we talked about in, and that takes a little bit more convincing, quite honestly, because sometimes people have this idea is, you know, I go up in my relationship with God. I have my devotional life. I have, you know, these times where I'm growing with God, spending time with God in the scripture in prayer, and I don't really need anything else. Don't need people. People don't need me. And that's just not what the Bible teaches. That's not what God said. And God said that we need each other. And so he talks about this whole idea of, of in. And really, as we talked about, and I'm not going to rehash it because we talked about it last week, is, is this idea of when we come together. It's in those times that we learn to grow together and we serve together. And just like we saw what James said, it's when we come together that often God uses those little communities, those little gatherings where we get healed because it's in those settings that we get to know people and we're known by people and we love people and we're being loved by people and we accept people no matter who they are, what their background is, and, and people learn to accept us. And so those things are really, really important and we've been talking about them and yet life in Jesus involves more than just up. It involves more than just in. We cannot, we've been talking about this during this series, we cannot stay here. We cannot. We must go out. For to go out was the mission of Jesus. And this was what we're going to talk about for the next few moments. This is why I'm so excited about it. It's the kind of message I'm always passionate about sharing because I feel it deeply in the core of who I am. But uh, we go out. We hook up with Jesus in his mission. And we have in our day, been commissioned by Jesus to be on this mission with him. And, and maybe you're wondering, well, where did all this get started? Where was sort of the inaugural move that all of this began to take place? And a lot of times we think, well, it, it, you know, it was Jesus and the gospels. And so everything got its start there. And that's where the beginning was. But I'm going to show you from a different angle. I think it'd be interesting to you where it seems to have really got inaugurated. And it's not in the New Testament and it's not in the gospels. And it's all the way back into the Old Testament. Testament, the very first book of the Old Testament, actually, and we'll come to that in just a moment. I don't know if you're a, a professional football fan, NFL or, or not, but I can remember our family, we were living uh, near Jacksonville uh, when the Jacksonville Jaguars had their inaugural season. And being in that area, there was a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy about that. And everybody got on the hype train about that, including us. We were so excited. And they were talking about these players, Mark Brunel, Tony Baselli, I believe was his name, offensive lineman. And so these quality players coming out of the college 
yards range. And so there was a lot of excitement about you could go to Jacksonville and watch a professional football game and the players and coaches and such. And we were into it. I can remember the boys were young at that time and in their upstairs bathroom, everything. It was that first season, inaugural season. And so everything was Jacksonville Jaguars, the soap dispenser, the toothbrush holder, the, the towels, the hand towels. It was all, you know, uh, pictures. Everything was Jacksonville Jaguars. But do you know that when we're talking about this early mission of Jesus, the early indicators where it all got started of Jesus' going out mission, uh, again, it actually shows up, I believe, all the way back in Genesis. Because in a very real sense, it basically begins with a guy. I think you're going to see this, and I think it will become uh, quite clear to you. It begins with a guy who at that particular time, whereas his name would become more pronounced and more famous um, later on, uh, when God initially comes to Abraham and he calls out Abraham, Abraham is not a special person. He's not like this tremendous uh, leader. He's not like this great patriarch of the uh, Jewish family. Uh, when God sets apart Abraham for his plan, Abraham has no title. He has no clout. He has no fame. He has no influence. He's just an average, ordinary kind of guy, but he is not going to be on the receiving end of an average, ordinary kind of uh, communication from God. And I want you to see this. I want you to see it on the screen. This is Genesis 18, all the way back, and verse 18. Look at it with me. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And I want you to read the rest of this with me. Help me out. I need your help this morning. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. So that's Genesis 18. Now, you go four chapters deeper into Genesis, Genesis 22. This is not on the screen, but you basically hear God saying the same thing to Abraham. And through your descendants, Abraham, through your lineage, through your descendants, all the nations, not just the Jewish nation, but all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Four chapters beyond that, Genesis 26, we come right back to it again. And through your offspring, speaking of Abraham's offspring, through your offspring, all nations on earth are going to be blessed. So we see it 18 and 22, and it shows up again in chapter 26. Uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, how many of you, when you were growing up, you ever had to have your parents tell you something more? Your parents had to tell you something more than just once. How many of you, how many of you had that? They, they would say it, and, and then because they weren't sure you got it, they would say it again, and they felt it was like really, really, really important, and so they would say it again. Why? Because they thought it was important. They thought that you really, really needed to hear it. And, and then how many of you know, this is funny when you think about it, sort of the irony of it. How many of you know that a lot of times we grow up saying, well, we're never going to be like our parents. Did you do that? I'm never going to be like my parents. I'm not going to be like my mom. I'm not going to be like my dad. And guess what? You're becoming just like your mom. <laughs> You're becoming just like your dad. And I can remember I used to tell my little sister uh, that all the time. She's uh, 11 months younger than I am. And uh, she'd tell me I was like dad. I'm like, no, I'm not like dad. And I'm not going to be like dad. And, she'd, and I'd be like, you're like mom. You're just like mom. You act like mom. You not only act like mom, you look just like mom. No, I don't. I don't act like her. I don't look like her. And then later when she was adult, I love this. Some of you have heard me tell this story. 
Um, we grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta. Uh, she had to go downtown into the city one day, and she's walking up the steps of a pretty big office building. And as she comes to the top step, she's walking toward the front doors of this building. She thinks that it's clear glass, but it's not. It's mirror glass. And as she's walking into the building, she says, what is mama doing downtown today? And she is actually looking at herself walking. And I said, see, I told you, you look just like her. You act just like her. You're just. And so we said, well, we're never going to do that as parents. We're not going to say it to our kids a first time, a second time, a third time. But that's exactly what we end up doing. So just in case there's any doubt. So 18, 22, shows up again, 26. Now look at chapter 28. Basically, again and again, look at it right here. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you, you being Abraham, and through your offspring, Abraham's offspring. So in reality, this goes way, way back further than the Gospels and the inaugural mission of Jesus. Just so we're clear, this amazing mission of Jesus can, in a real sense, be traced all the way back, as ludicrous as it sounds, all the way back to Abraham, into Genesis. And God basically, and you got to be sure you get this. This is really, really important. you got to be sure you're clear on this. God basically has two words, and you've seen them, even if you don't know that you saw them. God basically has two words for Abraham. This is what his two words to Abraham are. He said, Abraham, I want you to go. I want you to go. Just go. I'm sending you out. I'm setting you apart. Abraham, I want you to go. And Abraham's like, you know, God, where are we going? Where are you taking me? Where are you leading me? God's leading him out of his own hometown, what is familiar to him. And he said, I want you to go. Where are we going? You'll know when you get there. Just go, Abraham, go. So the first word that God has for Abraham is the word go. Do you know what the second word is that God has for Abraham? You saw it even if it's not clicking right now. He said, I want you to go, first word, but as you go, second word, I want you to bless. Everywhere you go, I want you to bless. Abraham, you're a nobody. You don't really have clout. You don't really have influence. You really don't have fame. You don't have any of those, but I'm going to raise you up. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, in order that you may be a blessing, uh, not only to the Jewish nation, which obviously was, but to all nations. And we'll see that. Paul talked about it later in one of his letters. And we'll come to that in a few moments. But be clear, the inaugural move of this was not in the gospels. It goes all the way back, I believe, to Abraham. And now, uh, you know, how does that really connect with our life? Because you maybe have seen that and you're like, okay, got it, got it. That's interesting. That's good. God said, Abraham, go bless. But what does that have to do with my like day-to-day life? Because I know how you're thinking. You're like, all right, what does that have to do with my life, my busy life where I've got work and kids and soccer practice and recitals and all kinds of things going on? What does that have to do with my life? And that's a really important question. I want to try to speak to that in this talk for the next few moments. We are here, right here, right now, as followers of Jesus, what is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, and then God comes to you and me, and he says, here's what I want you to do. He comes to you and me, all of his children, all of his followers, and and he says this to us, the very same thing I believe that he was saying to Abraham way back in Genesis. Here's what I want you to do, and this is for all of us. I want you to go. I want you to go out. I'm leading you out. I want you to go out, and I want you to bless. Now, I hope that you have realized this at this point in your life. Uh, Obviously, you are still in this world. 
You still have a pulse. You still have a heartbeat. You still have breath in your lungs. But I hope you realize uh, by now what your mission and your purpose in life is. I want you, I, I hope that you realize your reason for being. Do you ever wonder that? Do you ever think about that? Do you ever take the time to say, well, why was I born? Really? Why am I taking up space on planet Earth? Why am I taking up real estate? I mean, what is my life really about? Why was I born? Why, why was I born where I was born? What am I to do with my life? Is life just getting up, going to work, going to school, taking care of kids, doing my job, you know, going to all these events that's going on in the life of my kids, trying to balance the budget, trying. Is that the totality of my life? And, and friends, I, I don't think that is in any respect. That's sort of the, that's life. That's sort of the day-to-day day life. But a lot of times it doesn't really click us till we have a traumatic event in our life where we're like, okay, now I understand. And, and I'll give you a couple of examples here. I've got a good friend and there's a group of guys. We, when I say we work out together, we're not, uh, you know, we work out in proximity. We use a lot of the same equipment. We work out so we know each other. We know each other by name. And it's like a sort of informal small group of guys that just to make the morning pass and the drudgery of being at the gym uh, pass. We talk, we laugh, we know each other. And uh, so one of, one of my friends, one of these guys in the last couple of weeks, and some of you might would know him. I'm not going to toss his name out, but uh, he comes here. He's got a church in the area he's been a part of for years and years and years. But he comes here, he and his wife, from time to time because we're friends. And uh, he was at a sporting event in the last couple of weeks. And he told me as I was talking on the phone to him several days ago, he's like, he's like, because I'd heard the story. And I said, hey, I just want you to know I've been praying for you. And what can I do for you? And he says, I said, tell me about it. He said, well, I was just standing there. And he said, all I can tell you is I just felt weird. I felt strange. I knew things were not normal. Felt like I was going to pass out. And, and next thing he knows, he wakes up in the hospital. And when he wakes up in the hospital, he simply thinks that he has passed out. He doesn't realize that he actually died. I mean, his heart stopped beating. He hit the ground face first. And he was able to be revived. And that's a story in itself. Maybe I can tell you about that later. He said, Jeff, he said, man, if, if you only knew... Because uh, I said to him, I said, obviously, God is not done with you yet. Obviously, God is not finished with your life yet. There's something that God has. In he said, wow, I can only tell you. And he, he began to tell me a few things. Hey, the trainer that was at this sporting event had not brought the paddles. I forget what you call them technically, but had not brought the paddles with him and his gear, his equipment. But then just as he got already out to where this sporting event was taking place, he says, I just need to go and get it. I'm, I'm not going to need it, but I just need to go and get it. And so he was there and the trainer gave immediate attention, was able to shock my friend, sort of get his heart beating again. And so, you know, my friend at the gym, this happens to him just a couple of weeks ago. I, I don't know that I've ever told you this, but uh, two to three years ago, I think it's been now, I'm at the gym. Uh, this guy's not really my friend, although I know him uh, just by seeing him. And uh, I mean, he's right in the middle of exercising. And next thing I know, from me to this front row of seats, he is on the floor. I mean, he is down. There's a doctor close by that I knew, and this doctor runs over to him, and he looks around the room, and, and I'm just there for a moment. I, like, freeze for a second. I'm, I'm like, it, and, and this doctor confirms. He says he's not breathing. He doesn't have a heart rate. He doesn't have a pulse. He said, I'm going to need some help here, and I'm just, I mean, I'm just froze for a moment. I'm, like, thinking, we, we can't just let this guy die right here and never see his family again, and so uh, the doctor started doing what he knew to do. He said, I need somebody to do chest compressions. And so I got over there and I just started doing that. And uh, eventually a machine got up. He shot him, come back to life. I mean, he was gone, gone, flatline, gone. And some of you are, are wondering, well, you know, what is the point of all of this? And the point of it is this. It's unhealthy to have a gym membership. 
No, that is not. That is not it. That is not it. See, some of you wanted me to say that because you're like, I told you, that's why, that's why I don't have a gym membership. That's why I don't go. It's unhealthy. See what happens when you go to the gym? That is not it. Well, the real point of the matter is a lot of people get clarity when something like that happens. I said to both of these guys, one I know well because he's my friend. The other guy I know because I'm just, you know, informal chat, chattering when we were at the gym. And I, I said to both of these guys the same thing. Obviously, God's got a plan for your life. And God's not done with you. And people get clear about that. Because isn't it true we all get busy living our life, our real life, our day-to-day, go to work, go to school, take care of the kids, balance budget. We just live our life. But yet sometimes it takes a traumatic event to bring clarity to our lives. It really does. And I hope by now, I hope it doesn't take uh, for you, for me, a traumatic event to just shock us back into reality, what our life is really about. What is our mission? What is our purpose? What is our reason for being? Why are we taking up space? Why were we born? And, and let me just tell you what, it's, what the mission, the purpose of our life, the reason for being is not. It's not just to own a home. And having said that, I hope you own a home. Or if you don't own a home and you have aspirations to own a home, I hope you're able to own a home. I hope it's sort of your dream home. I hope that comes into place for you. But listen, you just got to be clear. That's not your mission in life is to one day be a homeowner. As great as that may sound for some of you, that that's what you really want to do. But that's not your mission. That's not your purpose. It's not to work a job. And some of you are saying, thank God, because, you know, the only reason I look forward to dying is so I don't have to work this job I've got anymore. And I don't really want to be there. And it's not to work a job even even if you've got a skill set that is comparable with what you do and you've got passion to do it, it's, it's not even your job and you get fulfillment in it maybe and you come home and it doesn't even feel like you work because you love it so much. If that's how it is for you, and that's not how it is for a lot of people, but if that's how it is for you, that's not your mission. It's still, you know, it's a great thing. You provide for your family, your needs, but that's not your mission. It's not your purpose. It's not to enjoy the beach. Although, how many of you know, we live in a great part of the United States, Central Florida, got great beaches on the East Coast, West Coast, all of that. And how many of you know, it's so much better than living in North Dakota. How many of you know that? And if you're living in North Dakota from North Dakota, no offense, please. But I'm, I mean, it's not just to enjoy creation and the beach and everything that's around us. It's not even to get married. If you're like a person, I'm not married. I want to get married. I'm hoping to get married. I have dreams of getting married. As wonderful as that is, if that's part of God's plan for your life, that's not your mission. It's not your reason for being. It's not your purpose for life. And I said that in the morning service and knowing that on the front row or second row, actually, my little girl sitting over there, she's about to turn 22 and she's going to get married. I know she's been counting the days. And I said, Audrey, I just called out to her in the 930 service. Audrey, how many days? And she said, I don't know. And I knew she knew. And so I wouldn't let her go. So she said, 70 77 days she's gonna get married and she's excited about it and I'm sort of excited as well because finally all three of my kids are gonna be off my payroll and I'm so glad and for the first time in my life I'm gonna have some disposable income where I can do some stuff I want to do and I'm really no I'm, I'm not I'm sort of sad about it really and I, I have to give her away, and then, you know, how do I do that? I walk her down, and I give her away, and, and, uh, and then i got to turn around and do the ceremony, and he's a gator, and she's a bulldog, and I know, I know that's going to be tough. And, and uh, man, but as good as that is, that's, that's not a purpose. That, it's not to be a raving sports fan, and we all, uh, you know, enjoy that. It's not to grow your investments or your 401K. Good, get after that, do well, but that's not your purpose. It's not even to be happy, and I hope you're happy, but your final, you know, when you think about what is my purpose, my, my mission, what is my reason for being, it's not just to be happy. 
See, we're still in this world, and hopefully more and more we realize why we're in this world, and as a result of that, are aligning ourselves with the mission of Jesus and the mission of Jesus, and started all the way back in, in Abraham, with Abraham in Genesis 18, where God looks at Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I want you to do two things. I want you to go, and I want you to bless. Now, I've got a question for you, all right? I've got a question for you. Hear me out. Do you realize how blessed you are? Do you, do you realize, do you really realize, you do know you're blessed, right? You do know that by now. I had a dream last night, it's just I have all these kind of weird dreams, but in this dream I had last night, I don't even know what country, it was an unnamed country, but I was in this country, I've been in another country, poverty-stricken, unbelievable poverty, and I just happened to be in one of these poverty-stricken uh, countries, and, and people were eating things, and I'm like, oh man, I could never eat that, but then I, the realization is people eat things like that all the time, and I looked around at the living, this is all in my dream last night, don't know why I dreamed it, looked around at all the living conditions. I'm like, how can people live like this? And I wake up and I realize that people do eat like that, sadly so, and people do live in conditions like that. And it just reminds me again and again uh, how blessed we are. Do you know how blessed you are? If you don't, come with me to another country sometime. And you'll come back and you'll say, I'm blessed way more than I can imagine. Can I ask you another question? Do you ever count your blessings? Now, some of you are church people. You're church people. You've been a church person your whole life. In fact, there are some of you in this room that you actually started church nine months before you were born. You can figure that out on your own. Your mom, your dad, they went to church. And so you started showing up nine months before you were born. And you were a church person. Now, uh, back in the day, back in the day, if you were a church person your whole life and you grew up, some of you, some of you, this is going to be so foreign to you. But others of you, when I say this, you're going to say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. And years ago in church, we would sing these themes called hymns. Hymns. And some of you are saying hymns, 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 like hymns and hers, hers and hymns. No, hymns, H-Y-M-N-S. And we'd see, how many of you, how many of you grew up in church, you're a church person, been a church person for a long, long time, all right? That's some of you, not a lot of you, but some of you have been church people. How many of you, if you've ever sang those old, old songs, do you remember this one? Do you remember this old hymn, Count Your Blessings? Some of you remember that? And it would go something like this, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings, see what God, and I looked it up because I wasn't sure this word, but it was what I thought it was, see what God hath done, not has, H-A-T-H. Don't you love that? That's how you talk. How hath your week been? How, how, how uh, no, we, we don't generally talk, but that, that was a great, that was such a great song, and I remember that. Count your many blessings, see what God hath, count your blessings. But you know what? We really don't count our blessings. We don't. So I think maybe, I think maybe it'd be a good thing for us right here, right now to just do a timeout and just count our blessings for just a moment. Would you do that? I mean, just think about your blessings and I'll just mention, and for some of these you're going to hear and you're going to be like, wow, what a blessing that has been. Some of you, that's not been a huge blessing in my life, at least at this point. But I mean, let me, let me just count your blessings and I could just go a little, how about this one? Family, just count your blessings. If you, if you have a family, if you have a great family and, and every family, you know, has its own ways and there's a little dysfunction in every family, no family's perfect. But if you've got a great family, you count your blessings and you say, wow. And I do that all the time. I thank God for a great, great, great family. 
count your blessings. What, what about your finances? If, if God's been good to you, and I look at my life, many of you look at your, and just say, God, what have I ever done to be so blessed? You've been so, so, so good to me. And you look at that, and you look at your health, and you say, well, that's my blessing. You look at home, your home where you live, and you say, that's a blessing. You look at your transportation. Some of you say, well, my transportation, it's not the transportation I really want because this is what I drive, and this is what I want. There's a chasm between the two. But if people in most parts of the world saw what you drive, and they say, well, what? And you don't like that, and, and they walk everywhere they go, or at best, they have a mule or a donkey to get around. They just look at that and say, you are so absolutely filthy rich. And that's a blessing, even if it's not the car that you want to drive. What about your friends? What about your job? What about your education? What about your talent, your skill, your abilities? What about your safety? Don't we take that one for granted? And that's a blessing. See, a lot of you live places where you don't worry about your safety when you go to sleep at night. And you just think that's a normal thing. That's just how it is for everybody. But many, 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 many people around the world, and even right here in our own nation, some cities, go to bed just wondering, are they going to be safe throughout the entire night's sleep? What about the grace of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, salvation, peace with God. Count your blessings. Are you blessed? Am I blessed? Absolutely. And if we are blessed, which we are, then we must not, we should not, we cannot stay where we are. We are on a divine mission with Jesus, just like Abraham, to go out and to bless. Now, I want to move this along. When Jesus went out, because I talked to you about Abraham, Genesis 18, 22, 26, 28. Now, when Jesus went out, according to a New Testament scholar by the name of James Dunn, he primarily went out to bless. And I agree with this scholar, by the way, that Jesus primarily went out to help and to give life, an abundant life or a better kind of life to two types of people. Jesus went out. Here's the first group. Here's the first group. Jesus went out to bless and to help those who were in need. Jesus went out to bless and to help people who were needy, who had needy. This is Jesus speaking here, by the way. This verse is not on the screen. Luke 4, 18, and listen carefully to the verse. Jesus, uh, many people believe that maybe he stood up, that, you know, a lot of times teaching in that day, a rabbi, and Jesus was the most famous of all, that they would sit down to teach, and that Jesus stood up, and he has this bold announcement he's going to make, and he does. And this is what he says. Listen carefully. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to, and if you remember, to the poor. Bring good news to the poor, to people that are in need. Why were the early followers of Jesus so absolutely effective in their mission? And they were. Man, I love the Bible. I love it, love it, love it, love it, still love it, read it a gazillion times, seems like. I just, a lot of you know because you've heard me talk about it, I've got this weird habit. I finish a book. I write down the title, the author, when I finished it. I just finished, I think, book number, at least the ones I've written down, book like number 437 this week. And I've read a lot of books, and I love to read. Got about three going right now. But I'm telling you, friends, there is nothing like the Bible still to this day, most interesting book that I've ever read. And I love it. And I want to feast on it. And, uh, you know, these early followers of Jesus, when you read about them and just how absolutely effective that they were in their mission, and then you start looking, well, why was it? Why were they so effective? Why was it about them? Why did they turn their world right side up? Was it their influence? No. Was it their financial backing? Do they have like a, a lot of com uh, corporate sponsorship? You know, they just had a lot of money to, to fuel their initiatives. No, it wasn't that. Was it their power? No. Was it their popularity? 
Nope. Was it their position? No. Nope. Prestige? No. Nope. It was none of those things. They turned their world right side up. Here it is. Be clear on this. You got to hear this now. Because they loved like nobody else loved. And they cared like nobody else cared. And they met needs like nobody else met. Most people were unwilling to meet the needs that these early followers of Jesus. And it wasn't just among each other. They did it because they were in these communities like we talked about last week. And they loved each other. And they were known and they, they knew others. They loved and they were loved. They accepted and they were accepted by others. But they went beyond their communities. And they went out. And they loved people who did not love them. And they cared for people who never cared for them. And they met needs that even people that should have been meeting those needs were overlooking. And they met the needs of people that didn't even like them. And as a result, it changed the world. And Jesus is still wanting to change this world today. And this world is messed up. I don't know if you know that or not. Have you noticed that this world is not okay? Have you noticed that we're surrounded by, with people that have all kinds of needs, spiritual needs and, and emotional needs and financial needs? And Jesus looks at us just like he did to his followers, we got to go. We got to do something. We got to go. And they went. And God comes to Abraham. He said, Abraham, got two words for you, buddy. Go and bless. And the first group of people, and James Dunn was right, that Jesus was sent out to is people who had great need in their life. Second group that Jesus went out to, Jesus went out to, he went on a mission to rescue and to save sinners. It's remarkable. What made Jesus so irresistible to lost, wayward, irreligious people was the way in which he loved them and treated them. You know, there are people, and I've come in contact with people, and I don't like that it's happened. There's nothing I can do necessarily about what happened in the past, but hopefully help people get reconnected to God. But so many people... It's like they had a negative experience with a Christian before. You know, I tried to do business with a Christian. This is what happened. thought this person was a Christian friend, and this is what had happened. And I went here, and it's, it's a bunch of hypocrites. And so all I've heard it. I've heard it, heard it, heard it all, heard it all. But you know what I rarely hear people say? It's amazing. It's amazing. Even though people look around and say, hey, church is nothing but hypocrites. And the reality is none of us are perfect. All of us have shortcomings. Paul said to believers in Rome, he said, we all sin, fall short of the glory of God. If you're looking for a perfect person or a perfect church, there are none. But some people, they struggle and, wow, I thought they were this, but they're not. Or these, nothing but hypocrites. But even people, you know what I've noticed? This is interesting to me, that even people, even people that have that man, kind of mentality, still have a crush on Jesus. They still, there's something about them. They still feel connected to Jesus. They still, it's like, it's like, wow, there's a lot of this has happened, but they still love Jesus. And they know that Jesus loves them. And that's what made Jesus so irresistible to people that were far from him, that other people were overlooking. He loved them the way that he treated them. He treated them with dignity and respect. And uh, again, this is Jesus, Jesus speaking here. And this one is on the screen. Look at what he says. He tells us who he did not come for and who he did come for. I love this. Look at it with me. He said, I've not come to call the who? The righteous, but who? I've come to call sinners to repentance. That's who I've come for. I've not come, you know, for the righteous. I've come to call sinners to repentance. And I've just got to ask the question, well, how are, how are you and I doing in that area? What are we doing about that? David Platt, some of you have heard that name. He writes about a ship that was built 60 years or so ago. It was built to be the greatest troop carrier in the U.S. naval history. It was called, I read this story some time ago, it was called the SS United States. 
This particular ship, again, unlike any that had ever been built in history, was designed to carry, this is amazing, 15,000 troops faster and further without having to stop for fuel or supplies than any other ship that had ever been built before. The only thing was it never got used to carry troops. It was such a remarkable ship that it got turned into a luxury liner for celebrities and heads of state. It contained 600 staterooms, four dining uh, salons, three bars, two theaters, and the comfort of being the world's first fully air-conditioned passenger ship for wealthy patrons who wanted to enjoy first-class accommodations. It was designed, Platt says, to be a troop carrier to have a mission, but it got turned into a luxury liner for consumers. And then you know what's coming next. And listen to what Platt says next. He said, it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing when that happens to a church. Really bad because we have a mission. The church is, is, a, is just a troop carrier. We are not here for ourselves. The church is a troop carrier because all of us are on a mission. I read this shocking and sobering stat not too long ago. I pray it's not true of us. I hope it's not. That we have, according to some research that has been, been done, we only reach one person for Christ each year for 85 church members in the United States. Did you hear that? We only reach one person for Christ each year for every 85 church members in the United States. So if you were to take, and again, I hope it's not true. I pray it's not true. I'd be so discouraged if I thought it was true. That if you were to take our church and you were to divide the number of people that are part of our church by 85 and come up with that number and to think that we would only reach one genuinely lost person a year, that would not be going out. That would not be going out to bless. That is not the mission of Jesus. I want you to check out this verse. I mentioned it to you earlier. Paul came along, and so this great church leader, he's going to tie the two together. I love this, and you're going to see it. Maybe you've never... I really thought about it in this context before, but now that you've heard what you've heard, uh, Paul says this, and uh, he was formerly this tremendous Jewish leader, and now his ministry takes him to Gentiles. And he says, what's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would declare to the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, to be righteous because of their faith. God proclaimed this what? This what? This good news to who is it? Here he, he shows up in Galatians 3. To who? To Abraham, we talked about him long ago when he said to Abraham, read this last part with me, everybody help me out, all nations will be blessed through you. And the greatest blessing, the greatest blessing that you and I can, can be to people far from God is to help them to become a friend of Jesus. So I ask you this morning, please hear me out. Please soberly think about this in your own life. I need to think about it in mine. Who are we praying for? Who are we talking to? Who are we sharing our faith with? Who are we caring for, burdened for? Who are we inviting? And, and I know, I know that, that we all have this thing called real life. And I know we get up and we go to our jobs and you go to school and you, you got kids to take care of. I mentioned that, meals to make and places to go and vacations and recitals and practices. And get, I know that we've got this crazy kind of life, but it just brings us back to perspective where we need clarity to say, all right, is life, yeah, that involves life and that's part of our life and family life and work life and all of that. But is that the ultimate mission? Is that what my life, is that all my life is? Getting up and sort of the rising ground of every single day and just doing the same thing tomorrow and the next. Is that the totality of my life? Is that the only reason I'm here? And obviously it is not. 
where to go, where to go out, and where to bless. I read this statement in a book over a decade ago. It says, as you love people, serve people, point people toward faith in Christ, redirect wayward people, restore broken people, and develop people into the peak of their spiritual potential, you reaffirm your understanding of your primary mission in the world. So really, do I think we get this? Do we understand it? I think we do. Are we doing it? I hope so. And if not, I pray we will. That you and I would go out and that we would bless. See, we cannot go up only. Up is important. It really, really is. And again, as I mentioned in the early portion of this talk, everything flows out of the essence of that. But we cannot go up only. And we must not just stay in. We go out. And as we do, we go out. Not in our own abilities. Not in our own talents. Not with our own cleverness. Not in our own power. Not in our own authority. And that is such great news. In fact, this, the, the mission of Jesus takes on tremendous clarity. And a lot of you are familiar with this passage in Matthew 28. I want you to look at these three verses with me. Then Jesus came to them, his followers, and he said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given, not to you, but to me. Therefore, read this with me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Remember, that's what, all the way back to Abraham, all nations, through you, through your descendants, your offspring, all nations are going to be blessed, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, read these five words, help me out, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This amazing mission was inaugurated in Abraham. Took on brand new meaning with Jesus. And now, right now, Jesus invites us into this mission with him. Jesus was so serious about this mission that he went out from the beauty and the safety and the security and the perfection of heaven to people who were hopeless and broken and lost. Jesus went out to those in need, blind people and lame people and poor people and lepers. He went out to those who were sinners, tax collectors and prostitutes and outsiders and outcasts. It's what made Jesus so irresistible. It's the way that he loved people and the way that he treated them and the way that he cared for them. And it turned the world right side up. You know, the beautiful thing is it could happen all over again if you're not just get really bound and determined that we can go out and we can bless. And unless you think, well, no, come on, man, you're just, you know, you're doing the pastoring thing and you're just trying to pump us up and you don't really believe what you're saying right now that we could make a difference. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Because if Jesus could start with 12 very ordinary, very imperfect people and change the world. What would he do with a group of people who would say, oh yeah, I will go out and I will bless. I love this story. Some of you perhaps have heard me tell it before and I'll just share it as we get ready to close. Tony uh, Campolo told this story a number of years ago. He had flown, he talks about he had flown to Honolulu and was unable because of time changes and such, was unable to sleep. So he ventured into an all-night diner where he overheard a group of prostitutes in the booth talking. One mentioned to her friends that the next day she was going to turn 39 years old. It was going to be her birthday. Another 
person sitting at that booth, one of her friends, scornfully said, well, what do you want, a birthday party? Is that what you want? And she retreated when she heard that into her defensive shell. She said, I've never had a birthday party in my whole life, so why would I expect to have one now? Campolo, who again is telling the story, struck him so that he thought it would be a great idea to conspire with the owner of the diner to throw her a surprise party the next night because he found out from the owner that they came there every night. A cake was baked and all was prepared. The cries of happy birthday from her small group of friends and this stranger, Campolo, left her stunned. She was so shocked that anyone would go to so much trouble just for her. She asked if she could take the cake home and then left with her prize. When she left, Campolo offered to pray and prayed for her salvation and prayed that her life would change and prayed that God would be good to her. And when he prayed the prayer, it so startled the owner that the owner asked him antagonistically, you never told me, pointed at Campolo, you never told me you were a preacher. I didn't know you were a preacher. By the way, what kind of church do you belong to? And I love how he responded. He responded that I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Jesus said, you go and you bless. Well, will we do that? Here we stand and we just look around and we say, you know what? As we said in the very first week of this series, we cannot stay here. Are you going out? Are you blessing others? in the midst of your crazy, busy, never enough time kind of life, uh, you know, on a scale of one to 10, just ask yourself, on a scale of one to 10, with the craziness and everything that's going on in my life, you know, when I think about what really matters, why am I here? Why am I taking up space? What do I need clarity on? Maybe in there you'd wedge this question. On a scale of one to 10, how much do I really care about hurting people? How much do I really care about needy people? Do I really care? Is it just taught because I've got to say it because I go to church and I'm a Christian? How much do I really care? How about this one? What about the lost, the unchurched, the de-churched? How much do I really care? Who are we talking to? Who are we praying for? Who are we inviting to church? Obviously, we're a week out from Easter. I was talking to a guy who's not a church guy this past week. He's like, man, Easter's coming up, isn't it, preacher? I'm like, yeah, it's coming up. He says, you must be real excited. I'm like, I'm totally excited. And I looked at him because I think he understood sports analogy. And I, I just said, you know what Easter is for churches? It's Super Bowl Sunday. And we're pulling out all the stops. Because this is what we know. And this is how we've been planning for weeks. From the smallest babies in that area, Ashley and her team oversee, and Katie and her team, and all the kids that will be down there, probably 150 kids or so, more maybe, have been down at that end of the theater this morning for church, and everything that's going to be happening with middle school and worship, and what's going to happen here, and three one-hour services, 60 minutes, just three, back to back to back. Here's, here's what we know. We know that you're going to be bringing people that ordinarily wouldn't come to church with you unless it was Easter. We know some of you have been talking to people where you work, and you've just been saying to them, hey, it's Easter. Why don't you come to church with me? Some of you have kids that you're like, hey, you know it's Easter, and I, uh, you know, you're not always here, but I know I want you and your family, and you bring your and they'll be here. We know that. We know that many of them may be far from God. We know that there are those of you that you have invited your spouse to come to church with you so many times and have heard no so many times. It's like you don't even want to bring it up again, but you know they're probably going to come. And we know this. We know that you're going to have people just like that, people from work, people from your neighborhood, extended family members, your kids, your parents, your spouses. And here's what we know. And this is our commitment to you. 
I trust the Holy Spirit to do exactly what the Holy Spirit is going to do in the minds and the hearts of the people that you're going to bring with you. I give you my word. We're giving it our very best. We will work hard. This is big to us. This is Super Bowl Sunday. We're doing everything with our own limitations and shortcomings, just being average, ordinary people. We're giving it our best effort because we know who you're going to have with you next week. So we're giving it our best, but we need you. We need you to go out. We need you to bring them here because who knows, but what next week becomes the time when it just clicks with somebody. And they just say, why would I not want to follow this man, Jesus? Why would I not want to give my heart to him? And I'll be praying every day this week that the people you invite and the people that you bring with you, that God will do something remarkable in their life. So until then, and even way beyond Easter, week after week, month after month, year after year, that we go out and that we bless because we're on mission with Jesus. Let's pray. Would you stand with me, everybody? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that you would include us with your mission. And we look back and we see that all this ragtag group of people who are following you had no clout, no, clout, no influence, no really financial resources. They just took a world that was in shambles and they just changed the world. Help us to realize that it can happen all over again. Because Jesus, you said it's not about our power and authority. You said, I, I give you all authority. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Help us to go out and to bless and to pray and to invite. See you do amazing things. We pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said. So be sure on your way out, grab some of those invitations. We've got big, big, big ones at the invite table, the info table. We've got the signs, little business card. A lot of you guys don't carry the big ones. You can put those in your pocket. I love you, everybody. Have an awesome week. I'll see you Easter, one of three services.